Hello everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my husband and co-host Jeremy. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode and today we are talking to Kevin. So thank you so much Kevin for being here. We really hope you enjoyed the episode and yeah, Jeremy's going to introduce him properly. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in once again. Kevin, thank you for being with us today. Thank you guys. Pleasure. Um, yeah, a few things uh, we wanted to talk to you about uh, that could really be valuable and helpful to our listeners. Um, we've been talking before we met during, I don't know which one, during a yoga or day breaker probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of that those. Uh, we, we, we end up seeing each other Warrior pretty flow, often. Actually. Yeah, probably, yeah. We end yeah, up seeing each other at pretty that. any event in Miami anyway at mm-hmm. one point. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so... Yeah, a few months ago, uh, we collaborating on, on the project and we had a little chat about what you were doing. Um, and I thought that would be super interesting. And, and actually, you reached out saying, like, if you want to record an episode, I'll be happy to share a bit more about it. So Absolutely. we're just making it happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, before we dive into this specific subject, uh, if you could give us a little background about yourself, uh, where you come from and how did you end up in Miami, just so we know. A bit about you. Absolutely. Um, thank you, first of all, for having me. And yeah, um, in our science, we there's kind of like this ethical obligation for us to disseminate about our science. And it's interesting what you said that we don't. Um, it's kind of like a shadow work in the in the sense that not a lot of people know about it. And I get very excited actually when I say like, oh, I do behavior analysis, and someone is like, oh yeah, that's the thing that I'm like. You know, <laughs> it's it's amazing. Yeah, but um, it's getting more and more popular. So my intention is obviously, you know, talk a little bit about it and as well, you know, so to share um, and hopefully it gets you a little bit interesting, interested to see more about it and, you know, to support the people that are doing that. There's a lot of reasons why. But um, about myself, so um, I was born in the state of California. But um, my parents are both Nicaraguan, and they they moved back to Nicaragua when I was like around seven. I had a, I have a brother; he's one year older than me, and so we all moved back to Nicaragua. It was we always went um, to the summer over there, hmm. and this one was like a long summer. You know, they just <laughs> decided to stay over there. They made their own, you know, little business family business and we just stayed there so um from 7 to 1920 i was i was there so it was like all my formative years i don't remember much about actually being here in the states we did live in miami before moving um to nicaragua we lived in miami um for a bit um but i don't remember much about that so do you remember we the experience? There. Do you remember the experience of actually moving? Do you remember if it was tough or if it was easy? If you kind of missed friends or anything? Not really. No. Not really. No, no. And this is something that surprises me because um, my brother he remembers a lot more than I do, mm. and he's a little bit older than me. So I'm like, how? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I do remember, you know, just the first initial reactions of being there. Because I guess we have been there so many times before, it wasn't mm-hmm. such of a shock. Yeah. But it, but it was. I could, you know, the difference, the cleanliness, you know, like and the houses are different. There's, we didn't have AC, for example, we use fans, and 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 because 
you know, you don't have ACs, you have a lot of them ventilations in the house. And yeah. we we lived close by, there was like this big um, like field and it was there was a lot of sand. So when there was a lot of wind, a lot of um, just dirt came to yeah. the house. So, you know, you would, if you, if you pass your finger through the tiles, before, <laughs> you would get a lot of dirt and um, you can see that, that the reflection of the sun there. And so when I remember being little and, um, and talking to, you know, somebody here in the States and I'm like, yeah, it's so lucky you guys don't have, don't have dirt, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. One of those things that we take for granted, but <laughs> yeah, you don't have dirt. You don't have to clean up stuff before you use them all the time, you know? Mm. <laughs> um, but anyway, so then I studied over there and I tend to like elaborate so much on the story. So I want to keep it short, but, um, you know, it's a different way of living obviously over there. Um, it's a lot slower, I would say, mm. um, the, the culture is a little bit different you know, how to relate to each other. Um, there's one thing in particular that is coming to mind right now. And I just remember, I have a group chat of my friends from over there and the things that we say to each other there's so much political incorrectness there mm. you know yeah. there's so much and we it's just the way that we talk to each other you know we don't see wrong in doing that mm. you know it's just like yeah but no need to mention that no need to mention <laughs> any like examples right now but um that's just one thing just one you know one of the the ways and i guess it's also really family oriented right like i feel like i mean we've been to like panama cuba and and i mean in any latin culture anyway usually like family first like living close to each other hanging out quite often like that's oh no yeah spirit totally no december's for example like on christmas eve and um and new year's my grandma lived like five blocks away from our house right so I would just walk to her house and I actually walked to her house all, you know, a lot. I would go to, to visit over there and then I had friends over there as well. And my grandma has her own little convenience store as well, so everybody knows her. So when I walk, especially like a New Year's Eve or a Christmas, um, everybody's cooking, everybody's having family gatherings and, and people are just sometimes walking around and they're like, hey, you want to come to my house? I made this. Come try it. You know, like, oh, you know, you're the son of, of, of that. You're And so I come and I would be like, okay, I'll eat something. This is great. Cool. And then I'll go walk another block, somebody else. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. You know, then when I get home, abuelita, my like grandma, I, I, I can't eat right now. You know? But um, but it's, it's the whole night, you know, and they yeah. get together, they drink. And yeah. And, you know, um, over there in Nicaragua, you my life was a little bit different like I started going out and 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 even like just having drinks people it's it's kind of normal to start very early mm-hmm. you actually the the age it's 18 instead of 21 yeah you know, in Europe yeah mm-hmm. and then like so. you know people start before obviously doing like mischievous <laughs> stuff and and whatnot but but my grandma was always very open-minded. So she would be like, look, have a drink with us. And, you know, um, and it's ra- I'd rather you to party or get drunk here and then being outside and stuff like that. So it was always like very accepting of a lot of stuff. That's exactly the same as my parents. They'd be like, if you're going to drink, here's a beer. Don't go and buy vodka from somewhere and sit in a park. Like you can get drunk here. It's fine. I'd rather you do it like in the house. So 
I kind of understand that mindset. Yeah, and and also like that that's reminding me like I feel here in the US there is this hypocrisy about it. Like everyone knows that everyone drinks before twenty one. Like, but they keep it this way. Just I don't know why, but it's it's just a big big hypocrisy. Everyone knows. Everyone's doing it. The parents did it. The grandparents did it, and like. It's even a joke. I mean, every single movie you see the joke about the kid asking an adult to buy beers, right? It's just become this thing, but but they keep it this way just because, yeah, yeah it's just big bullshit. <laughs> it's so true. And you know, instead of like they just punish it, instead of making it like, how can we accept this reality and make it better for these yeah. people? You know, why don't we like for younger, you know, after this age, um, we just we help them some way, like make Uber less expensive for this for, yeah, for just, young yeah, people who don't yeah. work so that they can get ubers everywhere they go you know it's just yeah i think the it's it's a little bit of hypocrisy it's a little bit of you know like the control of it oh, yeah. you <laughs> know and just people thinking that they know best yeah. you know and then and and so that that influences like yeah you shouldn't do that you know mm. and the laws that they make but even and that's even true for other things like for example sex there's a big problem yeah. of sex education and you know and there's still a lot of like um repression on that yeah. um but more than that like instead of educating they're like oh you shouldn't be doing that like before and i feel like everybody especially in our countries um it's more open and people explore more and it's not like it's a bit less of a taboo yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah and so i think you know, if you get rid of the taboo and you educate people, then it's kind of like it's a little better. Um, and, there's and better outcomes for that. Yeah, usually this way you prevent more shit to happen. Yeah, because the then you know about it. And then then someone who comes with bad intentions and tells you, no, it's this and this and that. You're like, no, dude, I won't. You know, I, I know about it. And you kind of make a decision based on knowledge, not on like just somebody persuading you in some way, yeah. you know. Um, which is what what happens sometimes when people are just like oh we're not going to talk about it and then somebody else comes and they're like oh they don't know so let me let me just put whatever story and yeah. get people whatever involved comes in that. up <laughs> mm -hmm. influence there mm -hmm. but yeah um, all right let me let me go <laughs> you see, like, I can I can always like that's I haven't even moved from Nicaragua you know I just got there. <laughs> So that's the thing. I can know. I you know we can always that's expand. Fine. We've got so plenty of time. I want to know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but um, what else about about Nicaragua? Well, well, there's one thing that you guys might find interesting. I want to hear your opinion. You know of Europe. But after I came here, I went to university one year over there, and I always knew that I wanted to help people. So I thought by when I was around like fifteen. Um, I thought I wanted to go to med school. I applied for med school, didn't pass, and um, they told they told me you got good grades, so we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna give you this opportunity. You can take one year of nursing, and if you get good grades, we'll pass you to you know for med for medicine. Over there is different. You don't have like over here. They you have to get a bachelor's. You have to you know do so many steps. But over there, you just go, you apply, you take an exam. And if you pass, you go straight to med school from high school, right? And it's mm -hmm. like seven, nine years, um, depends. Um, nine years with a with a specialization, but um, but yeah. Um, so, 
that didn't happen for me. And um, because by the second semester, they made us do practices in a, in a hospital, in a, in a health center. Hmm. And um, I realized how, you know, how hard it is to be in those, in those environments, yeah. hmm. you know. Um, by the time that I was in a hospital doing my practices, you know, so the first semester we learned about all these techniques that nurses do. You know, and it was like very simple yet very important stuff. Like, for example, um, may, um, what's it called? Giving someone a bath hmm. and when they're in bed so they can't, you know, they can't move. But yeah. what happens is when you're laying down and you're staying in one position, your body starts to get like, um, I think it's lacerations in English. I don't remember the, the exact word, but it gets red and the sweat and everything. Yeah. And that moisture just starts to, it gets to a point where it's bad for you. And it could, yeah, like, you can get an infection and some people like get amputation because of it. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the nurses come and they, and they learn how to like give someone, you know, a bed, a bath bed. You know, when I heard about it, I'm like, I thought about like getting a host or something <laughs> <laughs> like a bed, like a water bed. And, but it's, it's, it's much more simple. It's just kind of like, um, you know, a rag and yeah. with water and soap, and then you can, you, you dry and you move them around, but it's very important stuff. Right. Mm. Um, and that we also learned how to put like, um, all types of medication, like injections, like IVs, IMs, mm. um, for the insulin, which is, um, subcutaneous. Yeah. And so that was interesting. And the way that they taught us, we, we had labs after school in the, in the afternoon and we would do it, um, against each other. So I would <sighs> like, for example, okay, you, Jeremy, you go with Kevin you're going to put an IV to him and then he's going to put an IV to you. <laughs> oh my God. It was, yeah, it was fun. It was fun to say that he's very nervous. There was this one time that um, I, um, to put an IV, uh, a catheter actually, yeah. I think it's called. Um, we, we, everybody got a pair, but I didn't. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pass on this one, you know? And then the teacher's like, okay, you're going to do it on me. And I'm, oh, oh my shit. God. <laughs> oh, I was so nervous. My hand was shaking so bad. And the worst part of all is that she actually had like, a, her hand was burned. So she had like, you know, oh. the skin was yeah. a repaired skin. So it was a little bit different. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It was just, uh. it, yeah, it was, I was so nervous. And then when it went through, it actually kind of popped and went straight. Oh. In, <laughs> but it went into the vein, you know. So it's like, okay, it was good, but um, yeah. God, I could never be a nurse or doctor yeah. or anything. It just, ugh. yeah, no. But that was not the toughest. That was not the toughest thing. That was actually like the best, you know, part of this experience. Just learning about all this stuff is so interesting. Like I really had this passion since the beginning of just learning how the body works and how can we heal people, right? Um, and that was my idea. I felt, you know, I want to be, I want to learn about medicine because I want to heal people, right? Mm. That was my idea. But then, like I said, the hard part was being in those environments. So Nicaragua is one of, is the second poorest country in the continent of America. Oh. And so there is, there's good medicine over there. The people know stuff, but sometimes we just don't have the resources to treat people. Mm. Um, so imagine there's this outbreak of N H one N one at that time. Oh, yeah. People were dying, um, and but we don't have medication. There's people coming in, and there's you know there's people saying, well, we don't have space for you, or we don't have the right treatment right now. We don't have. There was this one time that um, there was this lady. Apparently, she has been hospitalized for a while now, and they have been trying different things to try to figure out what it is. 
and um, they didn't find an answer. So they decided to do a biopsy. So biopsy is, you know, to remove a little piece of, of anything, you know, it could be an organ, it can yeah. be whatever. Uh, but they decided to do a biopsy of the bone marrow. They didn't have anesthesia for that at the moment. But the, it was a point in time where she was getting worse, so they decided to do it, um, obviously with her consent. Mm. And those screams, I mean, they gave me so much chills that day. And, and I think that was, I mean, there was other stuff like, you know, just seeing parents crying because their children's dying and everything. And every day was that, every day. You know, you uh, there was things that just really shocked me. I was 17 years old, you know, <laughs> and I was just seeing all that stuff. And um, and I thought to myself, I don't think I want to to wake up every day to be in here. I, th- I don't think that that's. Yeah. So I decided to I finished the practices. But then that last, the, you know, the finals for that year, I didn't present myself. And I was there at school. I was there at the door, and I said, "Should I should I go or not?" You know, if I I felt like if I did the finals, I'm gonna have, you know, the doors open to decide next year and to to continue that. But I made my decision. If it was so clear to me that I didn't even take the finals, I didn't even want, you know, that opportunity to be like, "Okay, are you gonna go ahead?" You know, and I just I completely disconnected. Like it didn't even go back to take my grades or see anything. I just completely just left it. And um, I knew English. The way that we learned, that we kept our English because we learned it here, right? Yeah. Um, my dad, it was very funny because my dad would get mad if we spoke Spanish in the house, right? Oh, so I would have been, <laughs> yeah. so um, we would speak, um, he would say like only English, you know? <laughs> but this is the funny thing, like we would be sitting at a table, right? And I can be like, Papa, me puedes pasar la sal? You know, like, give me the salt, please, in Spanish or something. Mm. And he would ignore me completely. <laughs> completely ignore it. But not only that, he would make a mad face, actually. And so then I was like, okay, can you pass me the salt? He's like, oh, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he'd be smiling. <laughs> and I'm, you know, but I'm very grateful for that. Because I was going to say, that must have been so annoying at the time, like as a kid being like, for fuck's sake, dad just passed me the salt. But then I guess like looking back, it's like, actually, that's such a, a, like a good thing that he did for you guys because then now you're fluent in both languages rather than just you know completely losing your English altogether so absolutely absolutely and that helped me right right at that time because when I you know basically dropped out of university um, I was like well I don't know what to do now while at that time I met someone who was studying psychology and she we had a very good friendship and she would lend me her books and she would tell me all about it. And this is one of the things that I wanted to ask, but I feel like the university over there is a lot more practical in the sense that she in her second semester was already shadowing psychotherapists. She was um, going to, you know, the outreach, the, the rural areas mm-hmm. and, you know, participating in little projects where they would, you know, be interacting with some people who have mental illnesses and helping them in some way, just getting, there was a lot more practical hands-on knowledge. And then also the test and the the work that we had to do as far as like the academic homework, it was, it was a lot heavier than here. I don't know if you guys have ever had the chance to compare them. Well, in terms of, um, 
practicing, I agree. I mean, I, I don't know how it is here, but at least in France, yeah, there is a lot of practice. And it's not just in medicine. Like, I, I did, like, a engineer, engineering school, and I had uh, three internships in total in five years, uh, wow. like, six months long, so pretty long, like, a whole semester. Uh, and, yeah, and I, I've got a friend that's uh, who's a nurse in, in France, and, yeah, she was spending pretty much half of her time at the hospital um it was like three weeks at school three weeks at the hospital like stuff mm-hmm. like that um and then it gets to a point when it's pretty much only like a week at school and then a month at the hospital stuff like that so yeah it's really like learning on the field uh once you got the basis so yeah i i don't know here to be honest but yeah in france yeah. it's quite similar to what you're saying no hmm. i say it because um when i came here um and I started um, taking classes here. I thought, wow, this is, this is like, what is a curve? I've heard the, the first time that I heard about a curve was here and like study guides. What? Mm-hmm. Are we going to have an open, uh, open book exam? Like, <laughs> what? Like, I don't even need to study for this. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is so easy. You know, um, I've got a that's, question. That's kind of How, in, in Nicaragua, uh, education and health is free or is like in the U.S.? So, for example, um, I I applied to the um, the public school of Nicaragua, mm-hmm. the public university of Nicaragua. So, there's one. It's a big one. It's Yunnan. It's called. And so, um, yeah. And you, I would pay 250 cordobas in in one semester. So, like six months, right? The semesters there are yeah. six months long, and that was um, around ten dollars. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but this is right. This is the public university. There's private universities, but the thing about Yunnan is that um, the public universities there, they have so much prestige. Okay. Um, you have to do so. My admissions exam, for example, for for medicine, they they look at your the last two years of high school grades. They make an average, and that's kind of like forty five percent of your grade. And then they they want to give you know they want to put um, opportunity for everybody around Nicaragua so all the departments there's 15 departments they have like a percentage okay this much amount of people we're mm-hmm. going to get from there and so it was very limited and then from Managua which is the capital where I lived there was also a small percentage of there was a smaller percentage of people that they were going to get from private schools than from public schools right and it makes sense you want to give more opportunity you want to, and and this is a university that is public and you want to make it you know more available for people who have um less opportunity to go to private school. It makes, so it sense, makes sense, but everyone doesn't do it. So let's, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, and, um, but it's it's super hard. Like mm. The exam is super hard. I remember it was like four hours and a bunch of questions and there was a math and and, and Spanish exam. And, and this is the thing that people, when you go to a hospital there, some people actually ask like, where did you get your degree and, and mm. um, and Yunnan is very is very respected because of that. Oh. So that was one of the reasons why. And also, like, I mean, we were not we were not like we were middle class, and um, you know, yeah, um, we were not like um, very wealthy material material wise, right? I think um, the wealth that my dad was attracted to over there, and he always says that was that he was able to put a business and live home and see us grow, right? Because mm-hmm. over here, 
this this is one of the the the, the reasons why he moved. Um, my mom was a stay at home mom. Um, she took care of us. She took us to school. She picked us up and all that stuff. And my dad, he would work, and uh, he would work for a liquor store over here. And he got you know very long hours sometimes, and usually it's some sometimes he would work late at night because the liquor store you want to you don't have it open yeah. right. So he would get home, and he wouldn't see us basically. So we would you know we would be asleep in the morning. We would go to school. By the time we were at school or coming back, he had to leave. And then when he would get late at night, we were already asleep. Mm. And so he said, "Well, I don't, I don't want to live this life, you know. I don't want to be um, working and not enjoying, you know, the fruits of, of my life, my children, yeah. you know, and, and this stuff." So that's why he decided to create a business over there. And then, you know, I guess once he saw like it was kind of going, he was like, "Okay, let me go and let's just live there." And yeah. that's he said that you know he always says that like he loves the fact that he saw us grow and he was there for all that and he like the, he kept that family together and he enjoyed that which you know I think it's that's amazing it's very yeah. beautiful yeah yeah, yeah. like that's really, what I want to do yeah, inspiring when I, <laughs> yeah I want I definitely feel like that's a value that I have for myself you know I want to be able to get to a point where I can um, you know good sustain myself in a way that I can enjoy, you know, whenever I have children, can enjoy them a lot. You know, I don't want to be working all the time and not, you know, and being totally disconnected. Right. Um, So yeah, that's that's definitely a motivator. And um, so long story short about Yunnan, um, so I was always interested in psychology because of that. But in, in Nicaragua, there's not a big field of psych, there's not, I mean, there is a big field of that, but if you think psychology here, it's kind of like under shadow work. Over there, it's a lot worse. Okay. So, yeah. And um, the thing is, like, there's only like a couple of opportunities. And most people, they end up in a school just being like a secretary to the director or something like that. And I don't, mm. didn't want that. You know, I, I, I knew that I wanted to be out there doing doing the work. Um, anyway, so it helped me English at that time because I didn't know what to do. I knew that I was interested in psychology at that moment. That was the only thing that I was kind of interested in. Um, and um, so I knew English, so I'd apply for a call center. It's actually a bank from here, from the States. They have different clients, but this was the one that I applied to. And only because I knew English, I was getting paid what a doctor in a public institution was getting paid. Wow. You know, just because I was answering the phone, customer service, you know, in English. So... Wow. That is, that is, yeah. And this is something super prevalent in, you know, South and Central American countries and even like other third world countries. Like in, you know, that's why when you call a bank, yeah. a person from yeah. India, a person from the Philippines might answer because mm. the economic standards are so low that you can pay someone $2 an hour to do a yeah. job that you would pay someone here for 10 mm. and you're going to make a big profit. Mm. But then, you know, you have some customers being like, Give me an American, you know. <laughs> Where are you located? I got that a couple of times. Um, even though, like, people say that my accent is not very Hispanic. I think my accent actually got more Hispanic living here in Miami. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I got that a couple of times. And, it, you know, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, well, let me transfer you to somebody else if you, you know, 
whatever. But there was people who actually took it personal, and and they would be like, um, "Give me someone in America," and they'd be like, <laughs> "Sir, this is America. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're the continent of America, right?" Yeah. So and so they would like try to like educate, like angry educate people. Like yeah. this is America, like Central America and South America. Is, like, you know, <laughs> at that point, you, you can't do anything. You yeah. can't angry educate people. You know, not from that space. Um, but um, but honestly, it was so. There was a couple of issues with that, um, and what that does when these organizations go and, and place those contingencies, those conditions in that country. I met people who had professional careers. I met other people who were going to be doctors. I met lawyers. I met so many people with so many different career paths that they either stopped doing what they were doing to learn English or they knew English somehow and they went and applied there because it's such a good paying job in that mm-hmm. country, right? And it, it's $500 a month if you, you know, if you want to know. Yeah, $500 yeah. a month. Um, and and so it that's what it creates. It creates this contingency where people are just like, okay, well, let me go to that. But they're not really contributing to the country, right? Mm-hmm. Because the professional people are the people who make the country run right you need lawyers you need paralegals you need doctors right and so you're taking away from this from the professional field of that country and you're using it to yeah the 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 issue with that is like it's a really short-term money-oriented thinking and and if everyone does that the country is just going to remain stagnant or even go down actually and and it's it's never going to get to the next level uh but it's it's tricky because I understand also people do it because people need to put food in a plate. So it's like I pick up the phone, I get this amount of dollar, or I I'm gonna become a doctor, work sixteen hours a day, and I'm gonna get half of it. Like, yeah, when you have child that you need to feed, the choice is obvious. I get it. Uh, so it's it's really like a more like political <laughs> discussion and, and strategy. Yeah, yeah it's it's I, I guess it's the reality in a lot of countries actually. It is, it is. Yeah. It is. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if we think about it, I think, um, you know, you, you can't really, you can't really separate the, the econo- like economy and, and the politics, right? Cause right, it's, yeah. and like, even, even the field that I do behavior analysis and, and, you know, and, and yoga, even like all these, there's so many political things involved in there. So, um, you always you always get to graze upon those things. Hmm. Um, anyway, so, but this is the thing. Which what was interesting now that I then I you know think a little bit about it as well. And I always said that that was a, a an environment that I knew that I didn't want to be in. I only stayed there for like not even a year, but because it was everybody went out and they were stressed. You know, there was a lot of people smoking um, outside. I started smoking at that time as well, and. Um, because it was kind of like the thing that everybody did, kind of like blow off steam and, you know, and going out. And I remember I, I was going out and drinking so much. Um, and because it was kind of like the thing to do, everybody was kind of just like stressed. And, and I think, you know, the stress of just trying to be nice with, with other people and, you know, um, and supervisors telling you like you have to be nice and there's people yelling at you because they don't understand their interest rate and they want, you know, they want to get like some stuff waived and you can't do it because of the policies and all these stuff, right? It's not an easy job. Mm. I mean, it's easy compared to other stuff, you know, but uh, physically, because you're just sitting and talking, but mentally, you know, it's that it's, it's, and I think, 
the major issue is that people know that that's not the, what they want to be doing, mm. you know. Um, so I think that contributed for people to kind of like escape that reality. And it was this. So that was that that was the culture of just going out drinking and and all that. And and so at that point in time, I remember I was 18 and I I, I seriously felt like I didn't, you know, like my life was just going nowhere, you know. Um, and at that point in time, I also, I don't know, I really felt I started like developing like anxiety, um, especially social anxiety. Um, I, I, I was always, I guess, a little bit introspective. Um, so I would, you know, I would, I would sit down and just like talk to myself and just see like, what I was thinking and stuff like that. But then uh, I'm also very like curious about it. And I felt like um, I was looking at my life and seeing like, what am I doing? What, are, what, what am I, what is the meaning behind my life? And I started to feel like this anxiety because I felt like there was no real, you know, meaning I wasn't pursuing anything. And I, and so like that would come out, that would, that would come across um, as anxiety and I would you know there was there would be times that my mind was run with so many negative thoughts that the only way that I could stop those thoughts was to drink more to numb myself you know and so I would actually look forward to not drink and socialize and be out with people but to actually just get drunk yeah. which is you know it's very disturbing um, because that was the only time that I felt like wow I can just kind of like quiet my mind and enjoy um at that time that's kind of how i came across the, the mindfulness space um my dad he, he when he was younger he practiced yoga and sometimes he would practice tai chi in the mornings so he would look at a video and and he would tell us you know like you guys should practice yoga and all that but he was never like you know like super um serious about it he was just like you guys should, you know, practice and whatnot. Um, I came across this YouTube space channel. I don't remember um, how, but it, it was called Spirit Science. And they talked a lot about sacred geometry. They talk a, a lot about like the the philosophy of the Vedas and yoga, and um, and that's kind of how I got a little bit involved in that. And it's very it's very related to psychology. I've always been interested in that, so it's like this is very interesting, right? And, um, and there was this one day that I just, I was, I mean, I was feeling so attacked by my thoughts and negative emotions that I sat down I, and um, I was crying, you know, because I really felt at that point, at that point in time that it, if the world consumed me, it would be okay. Like I, I just wanted it to stop. Um, and so I, I put on like a little meditation, I put like meditation song on YouTube and, and I started just like breathing and noted and I imagined this, um, it's called the Metatron's cube. It's a sacred geometry shape in my forehead. And I, and I seriously felt that like these tears and this emotion, this feeling of tightness in the chest just vanished. Mm. Yeah. It's just like disappeared and um and my curious mind this is what i said oh my god this is unbelievable 
Let me focus on that negative stuff again to see if I can do it again. And I did. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I did. And so I started, you know, going back to that mind space and I started feeling that tightness again. And then I'm like, okay, let me try again. I just started focusing. And I, and I remember just like noticing my breath and my breath was heavy um, and just like trying to slow it down, just being focused about it. And, and it went away again, you know? And I think that for me, that was the point in, in time where I realized that I was not a victim of these things, right? Mm-hmm. That we had a choice. Um, and um, that, that was the first experience there. And um, I still, you know, I still kind of like went out. I, but at that point in time, I started saying like, how can I create meaning in my life, right? And I, and I always felt that um, I had the papers because I was born here. So I'm like, what if I just, you know, go over to the States and right. see what can I do? Um, I, re- I, I just want to go and study. I don't care if I, because I, I didn't have the money to like start, you know, and just like, yeah, let me just go to school. So I would start somewhere and I didn't have work experience just that place. So I was like, I don't even care if I go to clean toilets at McDonald's. I want to go and study, right? Um, and that, you know, like, I don't remember what was the, the time frame, but it, a couple of like three months or something like that, I saved up a little bit and I, and I decided to do that. Luckily, I had an uncle here who's living here and he gave me a little bed to spend a couple of, you know, a couple of weeks. I got a job at AT&T, um, customer service as well. But this one was customer service and sales, which for me... That was amazing because for sales, you can talk about anything right? because you want to sell. So I would have like an hour and a half conversations. And, I, and this is my sell technique. Hey, we have Wi-Fi. Do you want Wi-Fi? Yeah. No. No, I don't want it. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So tell me about Mexico and this and that. Like, you know, and I would just talk and talk to people. Yeah. And then my supervisor would come in and he would be like, okay, let me hear your call to see what's going on. <laughs> And he would end the call and he's like, dude, you connect with people so well. I don't know why you're not selling. But it was, it was, you forgot about it. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I really loved to talk to people, you know, and, 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 and selling was not, was not there for me. I mean, I was already making more money, a lot more money than what I was making over there, enough to sustain myself here and, you know, my humble abode. So I was like, I don't care about selling that much. Um, um, but, um, but yeah, and then they had they had a program after six months, you can start, you can study and they would pay you like $5,000 of tuition, which is mm. great, you know. So that's how I did it. 2013, I, I went for psychology, did my associates in one year. Um, I, then I went to FIU. Um, I, I continued my study in psychology there. And in 2014, I started my internship in be, an applied behavior analysis. I didn't know what it was. The first class that I went, like, there was a formula on the wall and I'm like, wow, what does formula have to do with psychology if it's all like, you know, it's all up in the air. Um, and and um, and then he was talking about a tantrum and the children and I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but I need an internship. <laughs> Let me just do it. And, and um, at that time, of Before course, you carry on, can you try to explain in a few words what behavior analysis like in simple words? Okay, yeah. So, behavior analysis is it's a science. It's a science of human behavior. And 
the thing about the thing about the way that I'd like to explain it to people, it's this way. So psychology, it's also a science. It's a social science. So in social sciences or soft sciences, there's there's different ways of researching about the problem or about the phenomenon that you're looking at. So in psychology, the research methods or the way that you investigate something is, you know, it could be like asking somebody, like, how do you feel about this? What are your thoughts? And these and and things that you cannot really touch or feel or, you know. Um, so those are like the, the social sciences. Natural sciences or the hard sciences, they are, they look at a phenomena, right? For example, in the case of behavior analysis, it's behavior. And they try to find objective standard ways of measuring it, seeing it and stuff. So behavior analysis has been a way to kind of look at behavior from a scientific, hard scientific standpoint. So what does that mean? Um, we look at, for example, the frequency, how much does somebody do something, right? Um, we, don't, we don't really rely too much on how the interpretation of someone because if I ask you, Jeremy, how do you think that intervention went? You know, yeah, you can that, that's tell subjective, me. Yeah. It's very subjective, right? But if I tell you, okay, Jeremy, look, you were, your productive level was here, like a twenty percent of your goal, and now your productive level is at eighty percent your goal after mm -hmm. one week. It doesn't at that point. It doesn't matter how you feel about yeah. you know. If you have an objective measure, and you can say that, and you can see that, right? We you create objective, tangible things. Um, like for example, how um, words that the person says, words that the person says, job you know completed, um, calories taken, you know, there's all these things that are objective and they relate directly to they're a product of behavior. Those are the measures that we use. Um, so that's that's basically it. Okay. Behavior analysis um, has gained a lot of traction in the field of developmental disabilities because. Um, it has been one of the most researched and most effective therapies out there for them. So there's many therapies for autism and there's things popping up every day. Like there's horse therapy, goat therapy that are, you know, there's also obviously that some other stuff um, out there. Like there's, there's, for example, they, they created a weight, uh, a, a weighted vest, you know, because they, they had this theory that um, they liked that pre the, the pressure, you know, so... Uh -huh. There was also like a sensory isolation. They said, oh, well, we think that they have a sensory problem. So we're going to put them inside a box that you can't hear or see anything. And that was the therapy. That was the treatment. Um, so there's many things popping up here and there, but um, not all of them have backup research backed up. And so this one, it does. So that's why this one gets funding. And um, and it's very, you know, it's, it's very effective in the field and it's very prominent in the field of developmental disabilities because of that, but can be applied to anything because it's right. science. Mm. So that's in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Makes yeah. Sense, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. So I can tell you my first interaction, my first client and a little bit of the story of that and how I got involved. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, 2014. And I started the internship in November, 
we went for a week in training where they, you know, obviously in school they teach you like in a very big way, but now this week in training was like what you're going to do with the client, like, you know, this very specific how you're going to teach, how you're going to record the data, um, who you're going to talk to, what, how is your interaction with your supervisor going to be. But it's a week in training, it's 40 hours, you know. So I didn't feel like I was prepared for what was going to happen because yeah. I didn't know what's going to happen. Anyway, resuming on, um, I went to my first client uh, here in Miami. He lived like 45 minutes away. He was driving over there, suit and tie, button shirt, and, you know, it's like sneakers and all that stuff. I'm, <laughs> you know, here I am, 20-year-old, going to go to some parent's house because I'm a therapist with a, ch- a child with autism, which I'd never seen autism before in my life. I'm just like, obviously what I know about school. So I'm just thinking, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, when you get the imposter syndrome, right? What the oh my <laughs> God, that was not imposter syndrome, man. That was like, whatever happened. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't know. I was honestly, I didn't think about it too much because I had a supervisor. And that's something that I like about the field. We have a requirement that your hours have to be supervised depending on your okay. level of certification, depending on your experience. So I had a supervisor there, so I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna follow directions, right? But if I went alone, I don't, I don't think that I would have gone alone. Yeah. You know, if they said like, yeah, just go alone first time. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, the supervisor was there. But you're going into this house, and they look at you like, you know, they see me. At that time, I had my hair short, so I didn't look that hippie. But um, <laughs> but they see me very young and everything, and and. You know, like I just put myself in the position of the parents because imagine he was four years old. He just recently got a diagnosis of autism. They're going through a whole process of denial because when you get something like that, that is very unexpected, it's very harsh because they don't only tell you like, oh, he has autism, but they, they try to educate you. They tell you he has autism. This is how, you know, people with autism at his age kind of function and how you might expect to you know, need the services, you might expect, you know, these type of behaviors, you might expect these type of things to occur. And so there's a lot that they have to process, right? And they, they after they, a couple of days, they contacted the agency and, um, and, you know, they got the services. So it's a big, it's a big responsibility yeah. is what I'm, what I'm trying to put, you know, um, say. But then my supervisor goes and she's like, okay, so today you're just going to do pairing. So pairing, we call it when not the same building report. Um, so the way that we do pairing is that you want to go in and just kind of follow everything that the child wants to do. Okay. And you don't want to place any demands, right? Because if you go there and you're like, okay, like come here, sit down, let's do this. Let's learn about this. I mean, they're going to be like, who are you? Like, what? Yeah. yeah? So, um, and then there's going to be a lot of problems, right? Because they're used to doing their, their way of stuff. And so there's going to be a lot of problems. So the way that you ease in is that you go there and you you see what he's playing with. You try to see if there's a way that you can approach, interact with him. And then, you know, he starts to look for that interaction and see like, wow, he's fun. I want to interact more. And then once he gets that one, he's like passing you blocks or like, you know, to putting towers and you're doing that. And then you can say like, oh, why don't we try to put this block here? Why don't we try to move this car here? Oh, the car is coming. Oh, wow, I see that. Let's go get it. 
and then he's he's starting to follow that directions yeah. right he's not knowing but he then you're starting to establish that like i'm telling you to do something to try something new and you're doing it and obviously he's getting rewarded by it right mm. and 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 so and you're getting rewarded because you're like i'm getting i'm getting him you know yeah you're building trust directions. as well yeah and then it's like yeah and what about if we you know he this is the thing he said raw for yes and then no he just nodded his head that was all the communication expressive communication that he had because we also look at expressive and receptive behaviors are different right receptive behavior is when i tell you to do something and you follow the direction you need language for that because you need to understand like for example put the block behind you need to understand preposition behind the block you know you need to understand a little bit of language but that's receptive language and expressive language is a different skill and a, one of the very interesting things that i find that a lot of these children with developmental disabilities they have a huge receptive skill but their expressive skill can be very low okay. and what tends to happen is that because they don't speak or you don't see them communicate expressively people feel that they don't understand mm. ah okay so they just don't right? know how to express what they feel and what they think exactly and so okay. before you know that's why they would put them in mental institutions and stuff like that and they would because they don't and he doesn't know how to express like hey i want i don't want my milk cold i want it warm or something like that mm -hmm. and you know for someone that could be a big deal yeah and i guess yeah. it's a source of frustration which exactly. has a massive impact on everything they do and 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 i guess that can create anger and everything but it's just frustration because it's like i'm trying to tell you this damn thing and you're not getting it and it's just i can't say it exactly yeah. okay. exactly there's actually a very um, interesting thing like we teach community the first thing that you want to do is see what are the problem behaviors and you want to see how can we teach this person to get that same thing that they're getting by a more adaptive way so it could be like expressing something it could be sign language you know it could be any way so for example um um there was there was this one child um this he he had a lot of receptive skills so it's a little bit easier but sometimes they don't have a lot of receptive expressive skills so in that sense you have to teach without talking and that's very that's very cool right because now you're looking at how can i shape this behavior so one thing that we did break is this in sign language so you you know left palm is open and down and then you hit it with a fist and that's that's break i'm sorry this is help break is break like this but this is help and so we taught him to do um help because he would try to play with stuff and you know he would try to build a tower and the tower would just you know he wouldn't be able to like put it together and sturdy and then he would get angry and then he would hit another child instead what we taught him he but he wanted that attention because what would happen is that they would take away the other child and then they were like oh, okay let's see how can we build this tower or let's get another toy or something like that and so when i came in i'm like okay let, let's let's teach him how to ask for help instead of hitting someone because that's the way that he gets the help after he hit someone they would see like oh what did you do oh he he was playing and he would just wants to play better and so we taught him that And then we have had to avoid that contingency. We avoided him hitting or that way of communicating. And so there's so many, I mean, almost all, be, for me, all behavior is communicative, you know? Mm. 
Um, if a child, you know, it's, it screams about something, if the child's crying, it's, they're, they're trying to communicate something and they just perhaps don't have the skill to communicate. And I see that. I see that with people of our age too. You know, we, we need to communicate. We, we don't communicate stuff or we don't have a, a someone who is or we are repressed by that communication, that's when we start to lash out, mm. right? Um, if we don't have the skills or the opportunity to do that. Um, so it's very important for us to have those skills and, perhaps, and to have the space. So anyway, see, so for in that first case, um, I went in and uh, we started playing and I started, okay, why don't we say vroom and say this or, or sometimes I would make myself like he would point at something. I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Um, it's car, car, say car. And he's like, car. And I'm like, okay, here you go. It's a car. Right. And now I got him to say car. Perhaps at first it would be, you know, but yeah. then I would shape it. And that's how you do it. And you start to build it like little by little. You start to get those in. It's like a game, languages. I guess. And, and you're yeah. just playing. And, yeah. Exactly. And for children, it has to be. It has to be mm, a yeah. game. I mean, and... and for us as well, like we we learn so much through play. So right? you only work with children. What do you mean? Um, I don't know. Like, have I already work with children? If you only work with children. Yeah. Oh. I mean, um, and I mean, not <laughs> not even just you, like personally, like usually as as a behavior analysis, like can you work with adults as well? Or yeah, well, usually. I so the bulk of my experience has been with children with developmental disabilities, mm -hmm. and um, as far as the field of behavior analysis, uh, my per, my primary client has always been children. But the thing is, you cannot change the behavior of a child if you don't change the entire environment. So we work with adults as well, but it's more indirectly, right? Oh, How okay. can we change the behavior of the adult to respond to these behaviors in a different way? Right, so you go in and you, the thing is, one of the main tenets of our field, and this is so beautiful, is that the person is always right. The person is just doing the best that they can in the conditions, in the environment that they're in, right? Um, so what we come in to do is to arrange the environment in a way that we can make them more successful and we can make them learn about stuff and access those things that they need and want in a way that um, promotes their quality of life and the quality of life of everybody around them. Um, so, so yeah, my primary clients has been um, from two to eighteen. That has been like the 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 bulk of my experience at the moment. I definitely want to work with um, with um, older generations and also older people, sorry, and also like people without developmental disabilities, I've had the opportunity to work with, we call them typically developing children. Um, um, and I like to call people just people with different capabilities, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, they're just, they're just different, right? There's no, um, but it makes sense to, to diagnose people in some in some ways because it gives an idea for you know for professionals to see okay what to expect what to look for and stuff like that so it's a way to it helps it has that functional value um, anyway so um, what I was saying whew, escaped my mind I don't remember I have a question um, br bring that back up if you remember <laughs> um, 
is it always autism or do you work with different disabilities? Yeah, no, I I've been working with autism, Down syndrome. I've, I've had the experience to work with a couple of people, a couple of children with um, cerebral palsy, ones that suffer from um, seizures as well. I don't remember exactly the diagnosis, but there's children who um, they are prone to having seizures, right? And so the traditional methods of, of teaching can be very harsh for them, right? Because if you if you go to school, if they go to school and they ask them to write their name yeah. and they don't have the necessary skills to do that and then they don't get reinforcement, they just get punished or they just, you know, they, they mm. um, buy that, then, you know, they, they, that frustration can build up and they, you know, they can go into those medical problems now. It's not just behavior problems. So it's really going into the, we really go in and we try to see, okay, it's a very individualized thing, which I love that we go in and we see, okay, how can we teach this person, right? Is this individual, how can we teach this person? How, what are, what are their skills at the moment? Um, because even, even stuff like eye contact, you have to teach sometimes, even stuff like following a car moving. When you present like a, a picture on a, on a table, um, there's, there's going to be children who just don't, don't, won't look at it, right? They won't interact with those items. And those are things that you have to teach at first. So then you can be able like, oh, look at this. And out of this array, uh, which one is the same as this one? Yeah. And pick the red one from this one. And, you know, I'm just building up on the skills, right? Oh, which one is this one? What color is this one? Yeah. And where do you see this? And so like these, they go, you know, they go higher and higher and higher and higher to the point where you're like, hey, do you remember that red truck? Yeah. Have you ever seen that red truck in the street? Mm, yeah. And do you know who, what people, um, what are the kinds of people who are in those trucks? Yeah, those are firemen and this and that. But you can't start there if you don't have the necessary skills here. So sometimes, you know, I would go in and, and they don't do eye contact and I would just be like, okay, what is something that he really likes? Oh, he likes bacon. Cool. Give me some pieces of bacon. And then I would be, I would just, you know, be in front of him. I would say his name. He looks at me for two seconds. Boom. I give him a piece of bacon. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And then, and so now I build that relation, that, that, that um, condition that the environment for him is like, if someone says my name, I look at them and something good happens. But this is the thing, it's not just a piece of bacon. When I give the piece of bacon, I say, hey, thank you for looking, that's awesome. And now my voice is being paired with that piece of bacon. Hmm. And then the next time he looks, I can say, thank you for looking, because now my voice is a reinforcer for him. It's, a, it's, okay. it's something that has an association with good stuff. And then when he does another thing that I like, and I say, hey, come here, doesn't know what comes here come here is so come here and then i kind of like pull him closer i have somebody else pull him closer and hey you did you came here so now he's like oh so come here means i need to get close mm. and i get this good thing and so now we start to build those receptive language right but it's all like super in the fine you know um it's all about how can we arrange the environment how can we reinforce this behavior so reinforcement is a process of um creating a consequence that will allow the person to increase the probability of that behavior in the future okay. under similar circumstances. That was, that's what reinforcement means. 
So there's a lot of people who who listen, you know, about reinforcement and and they 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 confuse reinforcement with um, rewards or they confuse reinforcement with yeah with rewards or praise and they're like yeah I try to reinforce him but it doesn't work. Well, reinforcement works by definition because reinforcement is the process by which um, a behavior increases in the future. So you can, might think that you're reinforcing a behavior by saying good job after something, but if it doesn't increase in the future, you're not reinforcing behavior. And if the and if it decreases, that's punishment, right? So is so. How do you know if reinforcement works? You take data, right? You see, oh, okay. Right. So this is the consequence that I'm applying. Did he come? Yes. Did he? Did he? Didn't come? No. Um, was there a prompt involved, right? So we do prompting. So that's the way that we also teach um, language and stuff. So for example, for the help, if he doesn't know any, like any sign language, I'm not gonna just expect him to do this. So first I would, I would grab his hand and put it here, very close, and I would just let his fist fall, right? And then I would say like, hey, thank you for saying help. Here you go, I'm helping you, Bob. Hmm. And then the next time I put it here, and it's, uh, yeah. next time I just grab his hand here and he has to do that and next time I just I can I could just grab his hand and let it go here and then he does it and then next time I can just show him and then he imitates that right and then slowly 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 until the point where he's doing it on his own I just create a condition for him to do it yeah and then I'm and then I want to make sure that it's not just occurring with me so I have him play and I have another adult like the teacher oh. stand by and then when he does it the teacher gives him the help and now he's like oh okay so this actually works with other people right. and then the beautiful thing oh my god it's just ah oh, there's so much i want to say but the beautiful thing is that um we as human beings learn to get these patterns and you can teach that one thing and then he'll start you know we you can look at it um and sometimes it doesn't really happen but most of the time they will generalize those skills and next time you want to teach him another sign language, he might get it a lot faster because all the conditions are similar, okay. right? I'm grabbing his hand and, and something good happens and it has a communication value of, of something specifically that happens. So now he's he's learning to learn. Yeah, he, he, he knows doing that it's help. So he knows that, oh, what if I do this one? What's going to happen? So you yeah, you've created some new connections, I guess, somehow. And yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, no, so it's 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 beautiful. So the, the the impact of everything that you do on 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 a family and the parents must be just mm, amazing. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, no, I mean no, just that. Like, it's, it's, it must be like so. Because I mean, I I guess when you stepped in, when you step in 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 a house, you know, like you said, people are troubled and and confused and on denial or whatever it's a lot of emotion and feelings whatever it is and and i guess it's a long process but to see the the evolution and to see that you can teach the kid and and you can teach them how to communicate to each other and and bond to each other and and create like this thing is that must be just invaluable right yeah you're totally right um i mean i remember the days that i that I went in and you know we had some periods of break and there was a train that passed that passes by um, behind his house there was a train track and the train passes by and he loves trains and that's that's one that's another thing that typically people with developmental disabilities have very um, 
very set interest about things and and they do a lot of repetitive stuff sometimes that's a symptom of autism um it's very characteristic so you know the parents obviously they were concerned because they saw you know, some of these stuff that are not typically developing and then you know he would he would only like to watch youtube videos of trains and play with stuff very repetitively and they would try to interact with him but they you know they would be met with perhaps the kid just wants to watch youtube videos and play them back and he wanted to just like move the train back and forth and when they try to interact with him he just kind of pushed it away because it was not the way that he liked to play right and so yeah you know these are loving parents but they we don't have the education or they didn't have the, the the tools necessary to see like how can i make this happen right how can i interact with him and how can i teach him to play this way um because this is the other thing we we look at you know um, other children and obviously you have an idea of that you you have ideas of, of everything um before you come in contact um with what's really there so when you're set on that um it, it makes it hard when something new comes and um i think that we don't have enough education of child development you know in our in our early years so if you don't go to university to learn about like how does a child with autism look like and how does he you know how does he play and what are the things that you need to do early on to kind of get him you know to learn stuff in a different way it could it could be very frustrating and i remember days that we went outside you know he we would like to throw rocks sometimes at, at that it was it was very you know it was like three three months in i was six months with him and um we would like to kind of just like throw rocks and mom would go outside sometimes or dad um and they would just tell me like you know like they they were they weren't clinically depressing they they yeah they they were you know, it was, it was very tough. And these are people, she had a PhD. He was a very um, a very successful person in the medical field that I remember what exactly he was doing. Had really good jobs, really good positions. And, you know, they, um, this is their, their son, their, their most important thing in their lives um, at that moment. Now, then um, around five months, there was this one day that um, apparently there was like a reunion at school and mom went. And he, the, the thing about the children with autism as well is that because of their behavior, they um, they don't get invited to parties and other friends because, you know, it, it could be a problem. Um, they, don't, they don't play with them. So, you know, they see like, what, what are they gonna do? How are they gonna interact? And that was, it's very tough you know, because you see other children getting invited and going to birthday parties and everything and they, they don't. Mm -hmm. um so but but that that reunion she came back and and she was like man they were asking me what have i been doing with with him i was about to say his name i can't say his name because it's confidential yeah. <laughs> but um they were asking me what he was what i was doing with him and he's like so different he was interacting with the children and everything oh, he got wow. invited to a birthday party and mom was just like you know almost crying and happiness you know and and i'm i'm there and i'm just you know it's hard as well he he had aggressive behavior as well he would hit you know um when things you know when he couldn't obviously sometimes he can communicate but there's also other things that we need to learn like for example tolerating changes 
tolerating that perhaps his favorite food is not there. Sometimes, and a lot of people with disabilities, they eat a lot of junk food because it's so rich in salt and sugar mm-hmm. and all that, and that's all they want because it's so reinforcing. Um, it's 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 so it has so much stimulation. And then when you know mom tries to give them a, a different food, they don't eat. So they are in those patterns, and we have to teach them. And the problem is that we have to kind of like. Um, change those habits, and the problem is, the more you go with one habit, the harder it's going to be to change. It has so much more history. So yeah, so sometimes you know he would he he does he doesn't tolerate those skills, and you don't have the language to kind of like tell him, hey, look, it's all it's going to be okay and everything. So you have to like kind of go through it um, the smallest way possible and teach him that the, there's value in 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 tolerating and waiting and all that stuff. Um. So. So there, you know, it was it was it was not an easy. I would get hit on, bit you know, bitten on sometimes, spit on. And it's and and you know when when they come across and they say that it's just like wow you 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 almost forget about all those other stuff mm-hmm. you know, it gives you like this extra. Power. I guess to just continue, continue doing what you're doing, and and trying to be better at it. You know, it's it's a, it's a very powerful thing. Go on. Um. So I, this is a little bit random, maybe. So I watched recently Love on the Spectrum on Netflix. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. It's um. I think I saw it announced. It's very interesting. Is it the yeah. one with um? Like how how people with autism go into romantic relationships and how they are. Yeah, so th- there's a couple of couples who are already together, and it kind of you know asks them questions about how they feel together and um, things like that. But there's also single people who want to find somebody, and it's so interesting to see it because, like you said, you don't often see people with autism on TV or on films, or and even if it is, it's somebody acting that you never see the real. Um, symptoms or behaviors I guess is the right word um yeah what was my question I've forgotten have you seen it no um maybe do watch it because I I found it super interesting oh that was it um some of the girls were saying they only got diagnosed when they were like 18 21 because it appears differently in girls and mostly I don't know I guess are most of your clients boys then because boys get diagnosed earlier and then girls tend to get diagnosed later and she was also saying something about um autism and what's the one that's similar hmm. oh here we go adhd no adhd is a very prominent one nowadays i feel oh god yeah, one. um anyway no but quite so is it true that girls get diagnosed later and do you have mostly boys then if you do mostly children Hmm. Well, I would say that no, it's not true that girls get diagnosed later. The the, the diagnosis could happen at any point during their lives. Um, people usually start to notice symptoms around the age of two. Those are when the symptoms start to like, that's when you kind of see like, huh, this is not, you know, this is not like what I've seen or what other children are doing. Um, so that's when that's mostly when the people go but even then neurologists and a lot of doctors they won't diagnose until they're by the age of five because they don't want to be wrong and here you know in the states it's very it's very particular with that right they you know 
um, medicine here, it's very, I get, I feel like they're very careful um, in some aspects and then in some other aspects, they're overly diagnosing, but, you know, <laughs> but once they meet the criteria. Um, so the, the thing might be, because autism is a spectrum, right? So think about it as a, think about it as a spectrum like this, right? So there's the low end. Asperger's, mm -hmm. that was the one. Asperger's. So yes, yeah, so Asperger's is the high end. So they, we, we, a way of categorizing it would be a high functioning autism, Asperger's. And then the, on the low end of the spectrum is like when you see like they don't have respect, receptive and expressive skills. Most of the times we call it comorbid. Um, they have comorbid diagnosis, which means that they have other diagnoses as well on top of that. And autism is just another one. Um, but on the low end of the spectrum, you can have children who you know, they, they don't engage in eye contact. And people say like, oh, they're in their old world because they're just like this and that and just spaced out and they would, you know, they would hit other people because that's how they get attention. That's how they get comfort. They they would scream because they now mom gives them food. And, you know, that's those behaviors are being established in that way, right? Because everybody everybody has needs right and and the the way that your needs are getting met it just it's just it just differs from person to person but if you don't have the skills to get those needs met that's when um you know the problems can occur and um because you're always going to look for them you're always you're always going to try to satisfy those needs um the other question that you had was yeah so for this is the thing about 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 um I've, I had more clients that are boys. One reason is because usually when it's a girl, they want a girl therapist. And even when it's a boy, they want a girl therapist. They won't, they, they, yeah. So, yeah, but this is the funny thing. When it's a very aggressive kid, you know, girls don't want to service them. So, because oh. he's aggressive, he's big, you know. And or, so then when they see me, when I apply to a new place, I've worked with, I don't know, 10, 11 agencies here in Miami. I like to, you know, one of the things that we, we, they always encourage us to get different experience and different supervisors and stuff. So I've been a lot around, but every time I go, they're like, oh, we have a boy. So we have this kid. He's very aggressive. He's uh. very tall. He's very strong. <laughs> You're the one. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sorry, what? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So usually that's the case. Um, there was this one, there was this one time, it was a beautiful thing that happened. Um, there, there was a mom that apparently she was uh, she had some experience in her family with like you know a, a male sexual abuse and something like that and I was working at a center at that point so I've worked in schools and centers I go to people's homes um, there's different environments where we work but I was working at a center there's a, a clinic and and she was like well I don't want a, a guy um, you know, doing therapy, but apparently she saw, she saw me around, right, because she went to the center sometime, um, you know, to, she went to the center and she saw, you know, the way that I interacted with the, the clients, the parents and everybody. And um, she was open to that, to that idea, to having a session with me. And this, this was in 2018. Um, and at that time, I was very, uh, you know, I, I just recently 
got my um, last the year before that I got my yoga certification so we had a room actually like everybody had like a little room where they had like different toys and all these materials and all that stuff and in my room I would I would have like this um, yoga music just playing the whole time you know just like flutes and stuff and um, ambient music and I would have like the, the symbol of Om right in front of my my desk and stuff and um, and it was very funny because he would get out and mom would say like, oh my God, he's very calm every time he goes with you. You know, you know, on top of, because the program is the same, like we're just applying the same skills, we're teaching the same things, but um, everybody brings their own flavor, right? The yeah. way that you teach and, and stuff. But I, I really think that um, the music helped a lot, you know, yeah. and she, she, would, she would be very surprised. Like, oh my God, you're very calm. She's very calm every time that, um, that he comes out with this session with you. And, and we started to 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 change that, right? She looked now like, well, it's not every man, right? It's it's you you can't generalize that, even though it's your your mind so easy to create patterns, and because you have an experience with a, a male figure, you're so worried. But then there's you can't generalize that um, to everybody because then you're gonna limit those opportunities, right? Mm. Um, and another thing that you know I like to to just throw them around and you know and if they like to play if they like to play like you know throwing like throwing things and destroying things and stuff like that I could do that it, it resonates with me a lot more and so girls would be more like oh delicate they have the nails and everything so they don't want you know to yeah um so it's it's different and and she really liked it right she really liked that um that we were able to interact in a different way so I think there's value in both. The thing about girls, though, and autism, is that boys get diagnosed at a higher, so I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's like three times higher boys than girls. And usually girls who have autism, or who, I mean, they're diagnosed with autism because it's just a way of categorizing different skills. Mm. It's not that they have something. Um, but girls who are diagnosed with autism, what I've seen is that they usually have a, a less severe thing, a less okay. severe. There are, I mean, I've seen, wow, there's one in that same center that, oh, my God, um, she was very severe in the spectrum, and we loved her so much, but she was very severe. So it, it's not, you know, there's not a solid difference there, but the difference just lies in that they get less diagnosed, and um, most of the times it's a little less severe as far as I know at this yeah. moment. Mm. It's interesting the way you've just phrased that. Uh, it's, not, you, it's not something that you have. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, not like so a disease. Me... Like, it's not like a disease. Like, you have whatever disease. Like, it's really like a, a, a condition and it's about the, the, your, your abilities. Yeah. It's really interesting. I've never seen it this way. Oh my God! I mean, well, this is what I love about this field. This um, we don't look at a diagnosis. They can tell because they come with a diagnosis because we. Um, that's how we get in touch with them, right? And that's that's why they go to us because they have a diagnosis and they say, "Oh, for that, this is good. That's the functional value." But we throw it away and we're like, "What does this person do right now? And how can we improve their quality of life?" We don't care about the diagnosis. We we look at behavior. And this is the other beautiful, beautiful thing about it. They're always right. 
the environment is the one that has been teaching them this way, which, you know, the environment is also not the things around you that, you know, the experiences that you have around you, but it's also the internal environment, right? And, and for people, that internal environment, especially when you have verbal behavior, is your thoughts, right? Some of the, the emotions that you feel, your memories are internal, they trigger you um, to behave in different ways. It could be either categorized as good or bad, but we don't see something bad. Like if, if a child hits someone or a child screams or bites or, or steals or whatever, it's not a bad thing. It's just what their experiences has led them to do at that moment. And there's always that sense that we can teach them to, to, to do it in a better, in a better way. Um, and people will always choose that. People will always choose that because um, behavior that hurts other people, when you take away from somebody else, um, it always leaves something behind, right? And, and now we're, you know, we don't really use this in our field, but now we talk about like energy and karma and how um, I like to look at these things because obviously like I'm in the yoga field as well and there's so many things that are just, it seems so out there, right? But there's ways that you can kind of see it in a more objective light. For example, karma, um, the way that I see it is how your experiences and your the products of your behavior is also your environment, right? Um, because, for example, um, if you hit something, you get the sensation of hitting, and that's also affecting, you know, um, how you're going to see that and that's also your environment right and you're going to respond to that whether you you know you apply something to relieve it or you know whether you're going to do that afterwards or you know in a different situation but in in the case of when you interact with other people karma is just the conglomeration of your skills and abilities and how you are what is your relationship with the environment at that moment so a person who has learned to lie to get their way because they don't know another way how to get you know those things without lying without stealing without doing all these stuff their their karma is that right and and the the thing is if you even if you know how to how to you know do it in a more adaptive way and you then you do it knowing how you know that this is wrong and there's other ways to do it then you create that condition in your behavior. It's a habit that then you have to fight against when you want to redeem yourself. And that is karma, right? And that's why they say when what you do to others, you're doing to yourself because you're creating that condition that then you're, you're fighting against, right? Um, so it's it's that's what I love about this because it, it in a way, it very objectively explains everything that spirituality and some religions um which is at the end the same path towards you know just connecting with what is around us it's an object an objective way to explain those things and how to improve your quality of life and how to live a better life um so it's all connected it's all connected there this is super interesting because i i from everything you said um i'm, I'm thinking like this should not be uh, only for autistic kids or whatever. Like in a sense, everyone should have 
a little bit of knowledge about that because when you raise a child any child uh, you have to learn to communicate with him and how he's going to communicate back to you so everything you said apply to actually any single human being and like you said like when people hit someone uh, I mean if it's if it's a kid asking for help like adults do the same shit like we hit people because we are in pain because we are looking for attention it's exactly the same like and so in a sense I, I don't know how uh, but everyone should have some sort of knowledge about that because it's it's yeah it's super powerful and you can apply it to every single human being in the world like just how to read people and 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 understand okay this is happening why where is it coming from and then what does he actually mean behind the punch or whatever it is like or yeah or, yeah, or yeah. And it's super interesting yeah it's it yeah it's beautiful and it's beautiful that you put it that way and i do feel that as well and i mean wow i mean i i can't wait to to put myself more out there and 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 be able to express more about this field and how i can help people you know i can't wait to do that um and i'm focusing on my studies because I want to be able to do that as well um, in a better way, in a more effective way. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's two things that I want to tell you about uh, about what you said is that, um, you know, when you realize that you can't judge people, when you realize that they're just, they're just trying their best out of what they know and what, are they, what they have, right? What they know is their experiences and what they have is their environment. They're just doing their best. You can't, you know, people, they're, they're hitting you, but it, you know that there's something more, that there's something there. There's this human quality there. How can you judge that, you know? And so what you can do now is what what is, you know, what is this person, what has been the experience that this person has had before in their life? And what can I do to show them that there's a better way? And that sometimes that might be just walking away from that person. And sometimes if you have the energy and if you have the, um, the, uh, and if you want to do it, then you can find a way to, to show them that, mm. right. To show them that there is a, a different way, that there's a better way. Um, and that usually does not, does not go along with just reacting to that violence in the same manner, you know? And so I think that is one of the, the things that I've learned um that has always that from from that point has always guided me like you know even in my relationships or even in, in whatever a, a person um being rude to me or something i'm just like i wonder what happened in that person's life that make that makes them do that yeah right and you have an opportunity now to react in a different way and to show them that there's that there is um it has, doesn't have to be that way. Hmm. So, and I think if we, everybody had that perspective, then we wouldn't have too much of those problem behaviors of those, of those issues as well. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, um, field, uh, even though there's one thing that people kind of, um, reject a little bit about this. And it's the philosophical underpinning of this is that we, our behavior is a product of our, of our environment and our experiences, right? 
So in a way, we are responding the best way that we can to our environment. And um, in a way, we, um, in the same way that you can't judge a person because of, of doing their actions, then there is, there, you, you kind of say in that sense that there is not a, a, a free will if you if you kind of say that right because mm. people are just responding to what they have it's not you know it's not like they deliberate they deliberately if you, even if you ask people like why did you do that they're like i don't really know mm. it's just yeah. this you know and, and and that's what happens and um, that's why it's so hard to know ourselves that's why you know wisdom ancient wisdom says the hardest thing to do is you know yourself because you're the you're the closest person you have in contact with and you still don't understand why some things happen, why some things trigger you and, and all that. Um, so imagine trying to understand another person mm. at that point. But it's, it's easier to understand another person because you can see it from afar, you take data. Yeah, you're objective about it. You're not judging. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But with us, we're like, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. but anyway, what I'm trying to say about this is that um, when you say, when, when I say, um, we are a product of our environment, then, then especially like in the yoga field and stuff like that. No, no, well, you have, you can act from, um, from your higher self and all these stuff, and 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 there's very optimistic sense to that. But there's also a much more optimistic sense if you say that we're a product of our environment, and this and this is it, that we can change our environment to make to make ourselves more successful. That we there's that this hope that we can look at stuff around us and explain why some of these stuff are some of the problems that we have in the world right now and we can change we don't need to change people there's nothing wrong with people there's nothing wrong with people people don't have something wrong inside of them it's the environment that created those experiences and those skills and those uh, habits that are manipulating and evoking this behavior and i see that so much because i've worked with with children from one one year a little bit more than one year and i see that they are good that you know even when they hit another child another child because they took away their toy they see a, a another children crying or sad they will go up to there they don't have language they will go up there and they would share they would they would connect you know typically developing they usually do that by the age of I don't know, 18 months or something like that. Um, and these are things that, um, that, that we learned and then shape us. And I've, and I've worked in schools where I've seen like, okay, this is how they behave at this age. They're so beautiful. They're so raw. And then by second grade, first grade, they start to put categories to stuff. Oh, he dresses this way. Oh, his parents are happy. Right. Oh, this. Oh, that, you know, he did, he did that last week and he's this type of person. He's weird. He wears glasses, you know, and we start to like separate or create all these, you know, little separations because of the culture that we live in, that we determine people by different standards and not the quality of their, the essence that they are, which they, everybody's just good. Yeah. And it's, they're, they're, you know. And so those early separations and states of mind start to begin so early and you can see them, right? Um, and so if we had the knowledge, we couldn't, if we didn't judge people um, based on that, then 
perhaps we would have a, a, a better interaction. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that I want to say about this, because I know like I, I mean, I've extended it a lot much, is that we are in unison with our environment. We are one with our environment. And when I say environment, I'm talking about, I can even trace it back to, to God. Um, and this is, I want to first start with this, something that I've come across in religion a lot is that we are made in the image of God, right? This is something that they say. In, in Hinduism, they call it Brahman, which is everything, equals Atman, which is the, the self, the soul. Brahman equals Atman, which is almost the same as saying we're made in the equalness of God. And the way that I see it, because of this, that I see the unison in the environment, when you, when you were born or before you were born, that moment in time, these two cells came together. And then um, your mom started getting food from the environment, nourishment, right? There's, there's biological changes. She started eating more. She started, her senses expanded and all this information from the environment was coming in from nature. That, and you basically were, these cells started reproducing and creating these um, organs cre- and, and creating all these systems inside your body based on all this food, all this energy that is coming from nature, right? Because um, it's not, it's not like you know when you're gonna build a house, you need concrete, you need something, and that concrete is is food, right? So you're one from there, from there on, and then nature is so beautiful and so powerful, right? Because it created organisms that are not coming with a design plan. They don't say, okay, Jeremy. Okay, I want Jeremy to be like this, and he's gonna he's gonna drink coffee at six a.m. in the morning every day, and he's gonna hit seven people, and he's gonna be uh, a talker. <laughs> they don't they don't they don't you know it's not like that. What they yeah. do is that they they put this operational system right of learning by the experiences that you have, learning about that, and it's so rich, right? It's so rich because even um, twins that are in the same household, they can develop different um, ways of life and behavior because it's not just the things that are happening, but it's also the filters of your mind, right? The experiences and all this stuff. And that is nature saying, this is the system, this is the operational system that you're gonna go in for you to learn and for you to be unique and for you to express your environment in the best way that you can. Right. And yeah. and that is such a gift, you know, and so when we when we are behaving, when we're alive, there's this unison from the beginning to the end of our environment. And so I think it's 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 very powerful. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you see nature, for example, I, I like physics a lot, astrophysics, 80 percent of everything that is out in the universe it's dark matter and they call it dark matter because they don't know what it is it doesn't it doesn't have nothing to do with the name they just don't know what it is out there but it's it's like everything is floating in this substance eight, mm-hmm. almost like 80 percent earth 80 percent is water or mm-hmm. 70 i think but it's in those range yeah, yeah. and in our body it's the same yeah right and so not only we have the same operational system 
but the hardware is also similar. Hmm. And so it always goes back. It always goes back to that that connection to everything. And I think that when you realize that, I mean, it just you know, um, it makes it makes sense to to try to 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 interact with your environment in a different way, to interact with other beings, and look at them in a different light. Yeah. Thank you for listening. <laughs> that was so interesting. I have just loved this conversation. I've learned so much about you. I've also learned so much about autism and just the whole, it's just been amazing. Thank you so much for spending time to talk oh, to man. us. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, if you have any questions, where what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yes. Um, well, you have, we have, I have that. We all have Instagram. Mine is the Mindful Scientist. I think that's it. Or the Mindful Science is 11. Yeah, 11, yeah, I think, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, So they can get in touch with me there. Um, Also through my email. Um, It's it's a very, it's the same. The Mindful Scientist at Hotmail. Yeah, I'll link it. If people want to get in touch, if you have any questions. Um, What we can do um, after the show, I mean, before I publish the episode, um, it'd be great if you could send me maybe like, a couple of link for like resources if people want to learn a bit more read a bit more i i, I want to so yeah uh, <laughs> and i will link it in the, in the notes so people can read about it just Absolutely. Know, like uh yeah i think that'll be quite cool so i feel there's a lot to learn and i don't know books you know books podcasts or blog posts or whatever any resources out there that can be valuable to just learn a bit more about it that'll be yeah. cool yeah yeah oh and i forgot to tell you so that after six months that first experience that i had he was talking about his friends from school he was talking about Mm. the things that he wants to do with his friends at school the birthday party that he's gonna have who he's gonna invite it was such a big thing man yeah and from there i just i just fell in love (laughs) yeah can't stop can imagine (laughs) it's amazing it must be such a rewarding job it just sounds amazing Mm. well thank you for the work that you do thank you for being on the podcast and everybody else thank you so much for listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode if you did feel free to share it with anyone who you think might also want to listen to it and we'll be back next wednesday with a new episode yeah thank you guys thank you again bye-bye thank you bye